Welcome everybody. Happy Valentine's Day. Kisses to all of you. This is Conjecture and Calamity and this is our special Valentine's Day podcast. Even though this isn't being released on Valentine's Day, it's it, we're recording it on Valentine's Day because we're we're fucks and we have nothing better to do with our time. It's way more fun for us to ruin the timeline for anybody listening. Oh, yeah. It is for us to prepare an actual timeline. So yeah. this is going to be our Valentine's Day episode released probably in March. This will this will be this will be our dual Valentine's Day St. Patty's Day episode. Like, <laughs> and and the funny thing about that is one, it's a Valentine's Day episode where we're not with any significant others right now in the current right. in the current moment. I don't know what the hell you're doing, <laughs> but and oh, it's yeah, also it's just me. Yeah, and it's also a St. Paddy's Day podcast where neither of us are drinking, which is pretty hilarious as well. So we're we're totally fucking with the audience on this one. <laughs> the episode that we actually release, like on Valentine's Day, we'll have to get nice and sloshed for it. Oh yeah, definitely. We'll 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 do we'll do shots of whiskey and um, we'll just go ahead and. We'll just go and dry. It'll it'll that'll, just <laughs> that'll be a frightening episode. Yeah, we'll we'll be wet and dry at the same time. You know what I mean? Which is like you you, you never know. It, it, you've never seen that before on a in a piece of media. We're groundbreakers but, here. But for the merit of today's episode, who doesn't like drinking and fucking? So Valentine's and St. Patrick's all wrapped up into one episode released on neither that's true drunk sex is pretty i've never had drunk sex so i mean i don't i don't know hopefully hopefully one day i get well actually (laughs) maybe someday (laughs) maybe someday although i don't think i would remember it because when i when i when i when i go and i'm like you know i want to get shrimped i go fucking hard and like I, I don't know if I would remember an incident like that. I would probably, I probably wouldn't even fuck a woman. I'd probably fuck a dog or something. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't even, it wouldn't even like you know cohere. Vinny so. is the best to catch up what happened the night before with. He's yeah. like, oh my god, what happened last night? Boy, howdy, let me tell you. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I don't think I've ever gotten blackout drunk. I've I've passed out drunk before, but I've never gotten blackout drunk. Like I remember the moments before I passed out, and then when I wake up the next morning, I'm in literally the same position. So um, so 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 unless I like I got up and I did some like fucking like stepbrother sleepwalky shit, like I I don't think like I actually had like a blackout drunk experience. But I do end up forgetting a lot of stupid shit I say when I'm drunk and that when it does come in my head and I remember it, I immediately want to die. <laughs> <laughs> because because I remember, you know, the people that I'm around and I'm like, I was around and I'm like, oh, God, well, they probably don't think I'm a very nice person at all. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I was probably laughing most of the time while I was doing saying those things. You're a wild card, and that's what people love about you. 
Yeah, the wild card. You know, <laughs> you know, I like to cut breaks. You know what I mean? <laughs> cut a lot of brake lining. Uh, so this is obviously a very relaxed episode. We're coming in. We we are coming in dry, like very very dry, like you know, like middle-aged spinster probably a nun we're coming in that dry you know what i kind of had in mind is that we it would kind of be a part two of swords for two different podcasts now the last kind of loosey-goosey podcast we recorded which was about music that we just dropped um towards the end of that i brought up a question and that question was what's a piece of art that your opinion has changed on something that you were just kind of whatever with that you ended up really loving later down the line and we touched upon that briefly because it was you know we it was far late in that recording and it was far late in that night too i think it was around like one in the morning that time mm-hmm. it, my time when we finished it and we uh, talked about specifically music right because i remember bringing up primus we did talk specifically about music i brought up a film and you know some music as well but it's a question that we can really i think really dive deep in because uh, part of this podcast the fun of it is exploring opinions and exploring the change in in opinions and the reasons behind such an opinion and i think that off of another episode something else that we could go into with this particular episode is the episode i think the last episode where we kind of came in completely dry which we ended up talking for about an hour and a half on movies about things that you like that everybody pretty much else hates and Mm -hmm. i think what i want to start with before we get into the changing of opinion is something that i kind of want to ask you alex I want to ask you the inverse of that question, and that is, is there something that everybody loves that you just never have gotten? It doesn't necessarily have to be something that you despise with a passion, because you've brought that up multiple times on the podcast (laughs) previously. Um, your opinion yeah, do we want to get into Alanis Morris? Yeah, do we really want to like dive in? I'm sure you people are fucking tired of hearing about <laughs> Alex's hate of Alanis Morissette. But other than Alanis Morissette, is there something that you kind of disliked or you just never really got that everybody else loves? The, um, the first thing that came to mind, and mm-hmm. it, have we not talked about Gone Girl on the podcast yet? We mentioned it briefly. We can, I mean, we can stretch this out into a Tire Gone Girl podcast. Oh, actually, oh, you know what I just realized? That episode that we recorded with Steve that you just, um, that just got fucked up, uh, that we were supposed to release, we taught, we touched on Gone Girl there, but we didn't really Uh... touch on Gone Girl anywhere else. Okay, so, so really quick, yes, for, our audience. I don't know what it is, and I swear I'm not doing this on purpose, but we have at least like three or four episodes that have just not been able to be released, either because of equipment failure or because of like files going missing or like files just not being recorded. 
like the last podcast, Steve and I literally sat down and we recorded an entire episode, and the thing just never started recording us, and that is so frustrating. Because now we can't go back and check, like, okay, so which episodes did we talk about something? <laughs> yeah. And so, unfortunately, there might be crossover, and it's it's complicated. But it, there's been, like, legitimately five or six hours of content that we haven't been able to release just just because that's how, how it goes. Yep, it's just... That's just the Greendale's the way it goes, as as they say, <laughs> you know. If you, if you if you guys like community, there. Um, so, um, going off of that, it, we may have already talked about this, but I absolutely love David Fincher. I think the way that he moves his camera and the way that he is able to get. These incredible performances, and you feel so attached to these very dark and grisly movies. Like, I even watched Panic Room, which is considered one of his like least good. And I most was people, like, most people consider that one his worst. Well, wait, no, Alien Three. I forgot about okay. that one. <laughs> <laughs> I still like love that movie. There's just he is so good at getting like a a dark underbelly and keeping it very lean and clear and concise and Zodiac is probably one of the greatest movies ever made and then he turns around and makes Gone Girl which I don't know like literally from the first scene did not sit right with me like the very first Maybe the second shot, because the first shot is of her laying on him and with the narration. But once it kicks in that he is in real life and, like, taking garbage out to his uh, can at the end of this driveway, like, for whatever reason, that shot, I was just like, this doesn't look right. This is, like, it's steady cam, it's kind of shaky, it, there's nothing interesting about this shot. I didn't get it like what? literally from the very beginning and it never got good it yeah. was consistently sloppy the story was very haphazard mm-hmm. and the performances i thought were terrible i thought nearly every single person in that movie looked like they were trying really hard to be that person but none of them could get into that character and i i was so incredibly shocked at my distaste for that movie and how many people who very much like me would kiss the ground that david fincher walks on and they love that movie too that that's my biggest example of what were you why (laughs) yeah see i also despise gone girl the film um i have a theory about it which I think I might have brought it up to you before. Um, as you say, David Fincher, he's so incredible at getting these really great naturalistic performances out of his actors. Like, uh, like just Zodiac, like Jake Gyllenhaal, Mark Ruffalo, uh, 
Robert Downey Jr., all of them are incredible in that film. They're just so wonderful and naturalistic. You believe that they are these characters when they're these huge movie stars. I think a really good example of that would be everybody involved in the social network. Yes. Because no doubt in my mind, Mark Zuckerberg, like Jesse Eisenberg was playing Mark Zuckerberg. Like he was in it. Mm. He got the best performance out of Andrew Garfield that Andrew Garfield has ever yeah. <laughs> performed. Like that was incredible. Anyways. Yeah. It's he he's able to get these really great performances and with Gone Girl, the performances to me they felt intentionally bad. I saw the film and I really disliked it. And a couple years after, I was kind of in a state where I wanted to go back and revisit things that I disliked. And part of what I thought I hated about Gone Girl was the story. So I was just like, you know what, first things first, I'll go read the book because that was a smash. And I read the book and I actually really enjoyed it. I thought, of course, yes, it was trash. But it was enjoyable trash. Really fun, enjoyable, you know funny it was a good ride to read that book and after that i was like okay maybe i think i see what fincher is going for and to me he what i thought was he saw this book and he was like okay this is a piece of trash i'm going to try and create something that is this really trashy, ironic sort of piece that's kind of subverting these kind of standard Hollywood thriller tropes. Which, when I thought about that, I was like, okay, well now I think I see what he was going for, and maybe I'll like it this time. I watched it, and still I thought, wow, this is just not good. It is, th- it is just not a good, because... To me, David Fincher, he's not someone that can pull that type of subversive Paul Verhoeven type style off, you know? Mm-hmm. He's, it's very dark, very serious. And yes, you know, there is a lot of humor in his films, but that's not the the focal point, you know, of the films, is that, you know, that irony and subversion. Um... I mean, the most successful example of, like, the irony and subversion in his work is in Fight Club, but that was already baked into the book as it was. It wasn't, like, an actual standard part of um, Gone Girl. And I think in that situation, he also, with regards to the acting, is that when you do that kind of film when you're trying to, like, you know, subvert this mood and feeling and just, you know, put off these intentional, like bad performances you don't get good actors to do it Mm -hmm. you know you have to get actors that are kind of shitty the best performance in gone girl by far and i know you will agree with me on this alex is by tyler perry it's by tyler perry he was the best part of that movie (laughs) he was the best part of that movie and tyler perry is fucking horrible tyler perry is terrible (laughs) but it's because he fit he fit what Fincher, what I thought Fincher was going for in it. But at the same, and also at the same time, you're right, it is very sloppy. It's very, it is kind of formulaic. Like that opening shot of, you know, with the, the wife's head in his lap and the voiceover. It's just like, okay, you know, maybe this is, this, this could be good. But 
the credit sequence right after where it's just shot after shot showing this little small town and him going out taking his garbage that is something that has been done a million times before Mm -hmm. and yeah you can do that like ironically but you don't do it in i don't know for somebody it's it's almost kind of mean if this if you're if you're reading into of gone girl is correct and Mm -hmm. David Fincher planned on making this subversive, like, mm-hmm. B-movie-esque, like, thriller. It's it's fucking mean of him to, like... Because he is so good at scaring and thrilling without yeah. any of these tropes. And oh, then definitely. he just decides to, like, make fun of the use of these tropes... By doing them purposefully bad. Like, yeah, you're right. It is incredibly mean because he's someone that usually, like, takes these tropes and elevates them. Like, when he does, like, you know, kind of a a somewhat trashy film and he, like, takes it, like, seriously, like, the girl with the dragon tattoo, like, that, I mean, I've never read the book. I, I assume that because it's so high, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, pulpy, like... Maybe not too trashy, but very pulpy. Let's not say trashy. Let's say pulpy, you know? Mm -hmm. A very, like, pulpy setting and, like, uh, uh, feel to the proceedings. He's someone that works so well in that mode and elevates it really well. Like, and the girl, he does that with the girl with the dragon tattoo, and that's really, uh, and that's a really, you know, fun, great movie. Um, uh, Seven. Seven, widely considered one of his best films. Probably his very best by most people. Um, that, the script, it's kind of formulaic, you know? It's kind of like a standard Hollywood serial killer-esque film. But mm-hmm. he looks at it and he just gets in, he just burrows deep in the nihilism and the grit that is just deep in the bowels of this screenplay and he ups it and he elevates it and he created a fucking masterpiece with that movie you know honestly like since you've put that out there if they were to remake seven just because of how like hollywood blockbuster it is like if eventually if they're willing to remake psycho there's probably going to be somebody who wants to remake seven Oh, yeah. And it is going to be completely lacking in that, like, depth and grit and heart in it. Just because they're going to focus too much on the story, which is not what Fincher did. He did the opposite. Like like you were saying, it's very... They, they have a killer in mind. They are following him constantly. They're putting the pieces together. They do the research. They almost catch him. And then, like, the, the big twist is that he submits to them he like shows up and they arrest him and then they have to solve the rest of his like like adaptation yeah <laughs> uh the two brothers the two kaufmans how one yeah. of them is writing about like oh the serial killer that oh is obsessed with this ser- i forget if it's also the seven deadly sins or something like that yeah. but the there's the gravitas and the and the it yeah 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 like yeah the screenplay is something that you know hollywood you know kind of like looks for a formulaic like piece that can like you know make a shitload of money and of course yeah in 
every serial killer movie, it, this killer does have a gimmick as well, like with the seven deadly sins and all that. And they're like toying with the, um, toying with the police and everything. But he really like by focusing on the characters and the performances and the direction and everything, and doing so, he added this atmosphere and texture to the film that elevated everything you felt that it was real you felt that it was like you got this sense of this mid-90s uh, apocalyptic paranoia as we were approaching the new millennium you know of just this this rot at the heart of the american city that just just sits in there and with 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 the story i mean you but just focusing on the story alone, you would really, like, miss that texture and everything that really elevated the material. And, yeah, and going back to Gone Girl, like, him, him, like, you know, kind of, like, making fun of that kind of film, you know, instead of, like, elevating it, as he usually does, it's just kind of mean. It feels right. disingenuous. yeah. Yeah, it is. You know. Like, what was preventing him from making Gone Girl the way that he made all of his other films? Like, maybe it was him growing tired of his own thing. But, maybe. But, yeah, like, if, if he just... It didn't seem like he put quite as much effort into it. And that's... I feel like that might be wrong from a film critic's perspective. Like, I can't say that about someone else's art. But that's how I read it. That's how I came away with it. Like, he just didn't try as hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... That's how I feel, too. So, yeah. But anyway, yeah, that was the Gone Girl segment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you guys... Hopefully you, that was interesting. Hopefully. Hopefully we, we kind of um, delved into something that kind of changed your mind a little bit there. Um, or made you think a little, little bit differently. Because, see, the thing is, is I have had this conversation before. I remember being on a set and talking to one of the guys there, and Gone Girl had just come out, and we were talking about the movie, and I was very much against it, and he very much loved it. Yeah. And I was like, how do you feel about it, like, purposefully feeling empty? Like, the shots weren't as meticulous, and... Like, the, the steady cam and the shakiness, like, there wasn't as much, like... This, because, like, have you ever... I'm sure you have, any, but have you ever watched, like, a video essay on how Fincher uses his camera to manipulate the way that you watch the scene? Like yeah. How, oh, yeah. Th like, the reason why he does, like, 60 takes of each shot is because, like, even, even people sitting at a table the way that he moves the camera has to, like, perfectly match the way that the camera is pointing at the person. Like, so if the person leans back in sort of, like, a, a shock, they're like, this is the final piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. Like, it's dawning on them. The camera matches their lean back with the push-in. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, even more dramatic and even more, like, attentive. Like, you're figuring it out along with them. Mm -hmm. And... I never got that with Gone Girl. No. I don't rem I mean I should rewatch the movie. I think the last time that I did rewatch it, I've seen it twice now. 
the first time, hated it. Second time, I think I started it part of the way into it already. So I wasn't like, I didn't have that bad taste in my mouth from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And I sort of sat back and I was like, okay, I mean, I'm understanding an appeal for it, but it's still just not good. Yeah. But still, like, maybe I was just so angry at it that I wasn't paying attention to that sort of thing. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the that's the kind of thing. I mean, maybe that maybe that's part of the um going back to the disingenuousness of it. Maybe that's part of the reason why you were so angry because in a way it was kind of like Finch was making fun of you. Mhm. You know, like making fun of like if if he is if that was his intention, like I don't know. I don't know what his intention was going into it. I don't claim to know anybody's intention when they go in to make a piece of art. Well, let's um, just say his intention was subverting this yeah. certain type of film. Yeah, and yeah, in him doing so, it was kind of making fun of a viewer like you, who, you know, loves his films because they, um, they elevate these kind of, like, trashy... these trashy things, you know? Mm-hmm. And, yeah... Yeah, everything should be about me, and yeah. it's not fair. <laughs> it, it's not fair. <laughs> I don't like it. I lost, sir. Good day. <laughs> Did you have something in mind for a film or some like media that you don't understand everybody's attraction to it? I, um, no, I actually, I really didn't have anything mm-hmm. in mind. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess I don't. I guess I was just kind of, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Gone, I, gone, gone Girl's my answer, too. Yeah. I did want to bring something up, though. Like, I felt sure. like it related to the initial questions. I forget the exact verbiage that you used. You can rewind the episode if you wish. But... <laughs> You, if, if you already know the answers to your questions, then why ask? Pig fuck! Um, I was actually having a really lengthy conversation with a buddy of ours who came to visit recently. And we were talking about how we all went to college together. And how I didn't end up getting into the film school at the school that we went to. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the time being very upset about that. Being like, what didn't I do? I feel like I did everything that I could. I remember, like, part of the application process was to write a very short script. And I remember getting really into what I was writing. And there was some bullshit with the year that I was expected to be in. I talked about it on Gage's podcast, actually, like, way back when. Um... But anyways... Check out Almost Adults for yeah, that episode. Yeah, Almost Adults is a great podcast. Everybody should listen to that. If you haven't... If you somehow found us first, like, uh, definitely go back... Don't listen to, to it. it. Just stay listening to us. <laughs> Just stay listening to us. Okay, but... Don't um, be tainted by something better. I was talking to the, his friend about this and how, like, realizing very dramatically how my taste has changed very much since then like we all say that we grow as people and stuff like that but i honestly think like when i was first applying to the film school i wasn't 
ready for film school because I get the feeling that the movies that I would have made back then if I had all of the uh, the equipment and the team around me to like make what I wanted if if I had done that at 18 I would have been very disappointed in what I would have made I feel like I would have come away with it Mm -hmm. thinking like well that was a waste of everybody's time because the example that I use, and this goes into the initial question, is that at that point in my life, Shaun of the Dead was my absolute diehard favorite movie. Mm-hmm. And I thought that it was incredible. It was funny. It was punchy. It used editing in a way that I had never seen before. I think Edgar Wright is a genius, and I still think, like, looking back now, like, Shaun of the Dead is still a great movie. But this was before, like... Yeah. Like, I hadn't watched a French film. I hadn't seen, like, I'd seen The Shining, I think, but mm-hmm. Kubrick was still very new as a concept for me. And then now, like, with Denise Villeneuve, like, absolutely changing, <laughs> like, everything that I feel about movies, like, if I had just gone into it thinking, I want to make something fun, I want to make something punchy, I want to make something eye catching. There's, that actually is another example. I loved Cabin in the Woods the first time I saw it. Mm -hmm. And Cabin in the Woods would have probably been the type of movie that I would have wanted to make. Mm -hmm. And then I watched it a second time. It took two times. Like, from the beginning, I was like, going into it, knowing everything about what happens. It's like, oh my god, this movie's dog shit. It (laughs) It is entirely based off of being your first viewing that that movie is so good. Once yeah. you understand the reveals and you know like where these characters go and what they do and stuff, it becomes incredibly uninteresting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's one that's just very just like it's predicated entirely on like their twists and everything, and that's exactly. just that that is not the way that you write a film, you know. <laughs> and that's I probably would have made stuff like that that I would after a second viewing had considered intolerable. Yeah. And so, um, I'm I'm looking back on it now, still disappointed that I didn't get in. That's like, I can't, I'm not going to be a douche and say, oh, I mean, I'm fine with it. But, um, yeah, I do think that it was probably not my time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, five years from now, who knows, I might also say the same thing. That now would not be my time to start. But... I feel like that there are very few directors that'll say like, oh yeah, my first movie or my first couple of movies were definitely my best. Yeah. It's just a, it's just growth. Yeah, exactly. It's growth. Everybody grows and changes. Like I know when Paul Thomas Anderson released Magnolia, he says for better or worse, this is the best film I'm ever going to make. And now, now that, you know, people ask him about it like on like every time he like drops a new film he's just like oh my god it's way too fucking long <laughs> oh my god i why did, what the fuck was i thinking <laughs> you know mm-hmm. so yeah i mean it's like everybody grows and changes as artists and as people but i think you shouldn't yeah i mean you, you shouldn't like you know regret anything because everything like leading up to the point where you are now is just like that has informed you and made who you are in the current moment so yeah like definitely change is 
great, but we shouldn't. I don't think anybody should ever look back at who they were and think, um, ugh, you know, right? Because that's just, yeah, that that's just that's not conducive to change, you know. Mm-hmm. If and you would, yeah, and I was, I wouldn't say that that was how I was feeling either, or how I feel now. It's yeah. more of just like, I wouldn't walk into a a built like a a job interview like dressed in a suit two times too big for me mm-hmm. you know what i mean like i've got to grow into that sort of thing and i i think that at that point in my life it wasn't what i needed yeah i needed to sit down and just study and like read up on how film works and what you can say with it and yeah. since then, I feel like my palette is a lot more uh, tasteful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel, too, in a way, with um, where I've been. Um, you know, like, I... You know, I would say, like, you know, back before uh, this particular point, I had good taste, but I didn't really understand it. But mm-hmm. then... When we, you and me, both together took, you know, a couple film theory classes, like, after that, you know, I understood it, and then my taste exploded into the way it was now, and now I'm like, okay, now I understand exactly how to do something, exactly, like, how to say, well, I mean, you never understand exactly, I mean, you're, I mean, part of the process of, like, creating anything is just figuring out how to say what you want to say, but... In fact, that's the biggest part of the creative <laughs> of the creative process. But n- now that I know what I knew, now that's all, folks. I'm Porky Pig, <laughs> and I'm here to fuck <laughs> your parents. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Um, now that I know what I know, mm-hmm. I know better. And I can try harder, and I can work better, and I can still fail, and I'll, I'll probably fail harder because I do have the conception in my mind that I know better, I should be able to do it better. But that harder failure is more conducive to the change and growth that I will go to as go through as I become a better artist, as a better human being, you know. Mm-hmm. And in that constant state of development, that well, that that's just life. You're constantly developing, you know. I mean, there's that biological fact that our brains like stop developing at uh, age 24, I think. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think I don't think we ever stop growing as people or um, or changing the ways that we. Changing our ways, changing the way that we approach things. You know, we're 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 adaptive creatures. You know, we things come our way. We figure out how to deal with them, and if something doesn't work, we leave that by the wayside, and we take what works and push that for use that, and then throw out the stuff that doesn't work, and then find new ways, new things to put in there, new ways of doing things. So yeah. It's a very life's a, an adaptive process, and not enough people think of it as that. 
they think of it in more of these black and white terms where you know okay you know some stuff works now well everything is just fine you know nothing nothing needs to change at all it's like come on you know have a little have a little nuance people that's an absolutely bonkers concept like yeah. i know this is a little off track but the idea that like our brains stop developing at a certain point yeah like what does that even mean because <laughs> i yeah. mean it's very obvious that like we continue to learn and we continue to grow as people just because you're 25 doesn't mean you're going to be the same person at like 50 but like what does it mean the development of the brain like th- stops at 24 i think maybe it just means like the size and the shape which is just like which i don't know because it's like Okay, first of all, from 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 a visual standpoint, that doesn't make any fucking sense because you see babies, <laughs> babies have huge fucking heads, all right? And you know, that that just doesn't make sense. They get smaller as they get older. Come on. But anyhow, like yeah, I mean, just like this I guess maybe it's just like the size and the shape of it and the way that, you know, the the different parts grow together and interlock with each other. And it's, it's like, okay, yeah, maybe that's true, and that's just a biological standpoint, because, I mean, I don't know, the brain is such a fascinating, deep muscle in our, in our being, our existence, that, I don't know, I don't think there's any possible way that it could just, whatever goes on in there could just stop growing and changing and mm-hmm. informing what has gone before it. I think, I don't know, you, you definitely see a difference in, like, the way different people approach lives because, I mean, there's some people that... <clears throat> there's some people that just kind of, like, you know, once they re- reach a certain age, they just don't do anything different. They get stuck in their ways. Mm-hmm. But then you see people of their same age that just constantly change and like do things differently and you know really grow as people instead of being stuck in their way so i don't know i don't i i don't think that i could think of would have to be like the cognition of things like at us at the at the age of 24 the cognition the cognition this is the this is the cognit the cognition (laughs) you you just thinking about your big black man fucking your wife all day don't you but, like, babies are learning not just, like, oh, this this is how you say please and this is how you say... Like, the, like situational cognition, yeah. but also, like, literally physical cognition. Like, mm-hmm. if I drop this, if I let go of this, it's going to fall and hit the ground. Like, yeah. babies have to learn that shit. <laughs> Maybe right. at, like, the age of 24, that's when we start, like, okay... You've learned the basics of humanity, or not just humanity, right. but <laughs> concepts of living. I guess at, at twenty-four, you should—you really should be a functional human being by the time exactly. that you reach twenty-four. You know, <laughs> if you—if you can't like figure shit out like on your own after that, you're just fucked for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm I'll be I'll be 24 in 7 months. I got to get my shit together. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's um But yeah, no. I th- yeah. 
that that would make a lot of sense. Because yeah, I know you, that they say like your senses start to wear away as you go older. Like yeah, your your you start to lose your hearing. You mm-hmm. your eyesight starts quickly and stuff your, like that. Your eyesight starts to go. You start seeing things a little more blurry and all that. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Maybe that's what it means. Instead of like your brain stops developing, it's like all right, this is peak human, twenty four <laughs> this... years old. <laughs> It's just all downhill from here. <laughs> You're just fucked, you know? You're just never going to feel another thing in your life. Which, I mean, I'm I'm 23. I'm already at that point. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yeah, maybe that's just it. You know, maybe it's like, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of different ways you can perceive that, like, question of, like, your brain. Devi- I mean, I'm sure there isn't. I'm sure there's, like, a, uh, like, a, like, biologists and, like, neuroscientists. They, there's a clear, like, meaning behind, like, your brain stops growing at this certain age or developing at this certain age mm-hmm. that we're just not, like, we just don't know because we're stupid and we didn't pay attention in, in our in our in our psychobiology or biology classes, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I think it it, it is. It, I think it's just very much like a, a physiological thing rather than a, a, a mental thing because mentally i don't think yeah mentally we never stop growing we're, mm-hmm. we're we're constantly learning new things and developing new things if we weren't doing that we would still be you know um uh using using blood and mud to to paint on the walls of caves mm-hmm. but in that situation we also we wouldn't have the atom bomb either so i mean there's there's, you there's win tra- some, you lose there's, some. Yeah, there's there's trade-offs for everything, people. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which yeah, yeah. So yeah, things things change. The way you perceive something, the way that you um, feel about something, and you know, and and you could always like, you can always feel one way about thing or do, uh, one thing another way and just get tired of it. Or just you end up disliking it, but then you could always like end up going back to liking it or um, realizing that it was actually like you know the best way to do things like later on. So yeah, it's 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 just a constant process that people since we're, don't think of. What's up? Since we're already sort of on this topic, we're not necessarily talking about it, but it would be a Right. Pretty easy transition. Yeah. What's what's a movie or a book or I guess really anything? Like I I would like to keep it at movies because I feel like you and I talk about movies so concisely. I yeah. feel like when we end up start talking about like books and stuff like that, we can get off track with like superfluous detail and then like music, that's like a whole other animal because like we don't really know how those come to be you know obviously you pick a guitar you pick up a guitar you start singing or whatever and you develop it as it goes but like besides those points what's something that really just like mind fucked you and something that you really enjoyed it didn't have to necessarily be complicated but we already sort of talked about like when you realize like oh i can do anything with movies like it was burn after reading you know like the oh we had this question before Right, but like, yeah. um, 
but what I'm saying is, like, can you think of another example? Because, like, I just watched Clown, and I assume that you haven't watched it yet, even though no. I told you to. Yeah, that's totally yeah. fine. But yeah. that movie is so unexpectedly philosophical. There were so many points in that movie where I was like, oh, this can't be this fucked up, is it? And then they'll do something, I'm like, oh my god, this is more fucked up than the last thing. Like, they are pushing my limits of what I'm willing to accept as, like, a fucked up thing. Right. Like, um, Enemy, have we talked about Enemy before on the podcast? I feel like I have, just because I love that movie so much. We have, but barely, so you can go ahead and okay. let your heart go run free. So, Enemy by Denise Villeneuve is beautiful to me because it is so not upfront about its bending of time. Like, you do, it never addresses, like, oh, this takes place before, this takes place after. It's almost cyclical, and at any point, you could just be looking at one part of this cycle. And. Like, you don't really... It doesn't really tell you that until the very end. Yeah. And that mesmerized me. Mm-hmm. Like, I couldn't... Be- Everyone should see that movie just for the fact that it's it's seamless. It is beautiful in its ability to... Nope, this is actually happening, like, a little bit later than this last scene. Or this is actually the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Mm. So something like that, an example of like a book or a movie or something that you sort of didn't get why you hadn't thought of that before. Uh, That's a very, very good question. Uh, hmm. Because like Enemy, it's chronological. Like I was like Arrivals that same way. Yeah. Um, but, like, it doesn't have to necessarily be that. Like, for example, the um, the Master is a good one, too. Because, like, it it's what passes as family and love and yeah. manipulation. Where's the line between, I think, does this person truly care about me or does this person just, is, think, are they using me for a greater purpose? I think that's my answer being Mm -hmm. the masters because i mean spoiler alert people that is my all-time favorite film like i i remember uh being so excited for it to come out because i was really hype on paul thomas anderson at that point and um yeah just so excited for it for the run-up and then i went and saw it and it was just actually my life kind of like fell into shambles like around the time that that came out and that was a film that really spoke to me and like warped my head and really broke new ground in what I was thinking of. And yeah, the the ambiguity of it is really like it, it it's really just like mind-blowing because you don't know where the actual truth lies in it. Like, I mean, yeah, you know, manipulation and, like, you know, what passes as family, what passes as, you know, or what's codependence or what's a, a two-dependent, what's parasitical, what's sim- symbiotic. Um, and then even just, like, 
the whole thing about the idea of like the past lives and all of that and Philip Seymour Hoffman the the master uh, Dodd he, pretty much the entire film they kind of like build him up as this like is he a charlatan is he not you don't know mm-hmm. and then at the very end in that final scene with him and uh, Freddie Joaquin Phoenix he says to him you know because this entire film, you know, their connection is just so, like, strange and just, like, immediate that it's just, like, we have to have known each other in, like, a previous life or something. And he reveals, he says to him, like, what he found out, like, what they, how they knew each other in a previous life. Mm-hmm. But you don't know if he's telling the truth. Does the emotion seem like it is? Yes, it is. But you don't know because you don't really know what this guy is thinking you don't really know if he's like trying to manipulate him or if he's just really just expressing his love and care for this person you know and it's it's a really for me it's really heartbreaking and really uplifting at the same time because if you choose to read it the one way that it's him like really manipulating this person you know, it's really heartbreaking because in that final scene it shows like the lengths that he goes to do so, and that what seemed like a really beautiful relationship to this person, Freddie, is just irretrievably broken. But if you choose to read it in the uplifting way, in that you know this uplifting spiritual way that there's there is a deep connection between these two men. And, and it's and it's not just a connection of they care about each other. It is a it's outside it, of it, their current existence. It like tran- they're tied yeah, together it through transcends, space and time. Yeah, that that line that um, when Freddy's in the theater and he's falling asleep and there's the Casper the friendly ghost thing like in the background, uh, and he has that dream where Don calls him from England, telling him to come. He says. And Freddie asks him, like, how did you find me? And Dodd just says, we're tied together. That line just really just, like, sticks with me. Because, I mean, the connection is so... It just seems so immediate with these two people. You know, that this connection, it it just seems to transcend time and space. Mm -hmm. And if you choose to read it as uplifting, it's still heartbreaking. Because it's like, you know, in their current states, they, they cannot be together even though they really want to be together. Mm-hmm. But still, it's up. It's uplifting because you know it's like, in a way, it just confirms the deepness of that connection. And that you know, it's like, for this one character, Freddy, it just it seems possible to him because this is a character that is just so like outside like the given norms of society, and um, and yeah, to see with this character with his connection to this this figure Dodd it shows that and you know it really even shows it in the final scene too when he's like you know when he's fucking that chick dude you Mm -hmm. know it's it just shows that you know his time with Dodd proved to him that he could connect with another human being that it is possible for him he's not beyond repair he can do it Mm 
mm-hmm. you know? I mean, and he's still, you know, he's still exactly the same person. He's still, you know, as much of a drunk, as much of a pussy hound as he was at the start of the film. And PTA really shows that with the final shot of, you know, him laying down next to the sand woman. Mm-hmm. Um, that probably just sounds like so weird to anybody who hasn't seen the film. <laughs> but but um, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen the film, so uh, Gage, not Jake, um, go go watch go watch it. Um, I don't know if you'll like it, but it's a very great, interesting watch and very it's a very rich film because of those ambiguities. Like I feel like I get more out of it each time. Like. I've seen that film so many times. I saw it so many times the year it came out. I, I must have saw it like five or six times, mm-hmm. like that year that it came out, like twice in the theater and then once at like the SLC and then once it like came out on DVD. I bought it on DVD, but before that, I downloaded it so I could watch it again. <laughs> like that's how obsessed I was with it. But it, it's just like, it's it's a film that's just so rich and it just speaks to my soul what the concepts it's exploring, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and of course it's just gorgeous, and the acting is phenomenal. Philip Seymour Hoffman, my all-time favorite actor, fucking rest in peace, you beautiful human being that left us way too soon. And just man, I think, and this great. like sort of wraps into what we were already talking about with the previous conversation, mm-hmm. like the the. The ten year or however many year gap that there was between Magnolia and the Master, mm-hmm. like it's almost the same concept. Like the idea of like what is interfering with our everyday life. Like the entire beginning of Magnolia, I fucking love it. Like not even like the start of it, the introduction of the characters, but they're like this literally insane thing happened the statistics of this man falling out of a window and then being shot by someone who didn't load the gun but someone else loaded it and then the guy died before he hit the ground like the the chances of that are so incredibly small the idea of like lancaster dodd and freddie quell knowing each other in another existence is unmistakably impossible like it's improbable you can't comprehend that as like an actual fact but it's questioning like is this the most incredible happenstance accident or is this literally like some divine intervention like is something outside of the world controlling what we do in the world and that's what lancaster dodd is preaching that there is lives there are lives outside of the life we're currently living, and he did know Freddie Quill before, and it's so much more mature of a take on what he was already trying to say in another movie, and his like his his taste changed. He's become more refined. He's more subtle with what he does, and yeah, it's it. The Master is a perfect encapsulation of how. As a filmmaker, even Paul Thomas Anderson was not the man that he was so ever many years ago. Right. I love well, I that. Mean, <laughs> I think... Well, I think you actually touched on something interesting that we, we were kind of touching on early on, is that 
he's still exploring the same thing, so these same things still concern him. He just does it a different way. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's like people people change, but we don't, you know? I mm-hmm. think at the core of our being, we still pretty much remain the same throughout life. It's just like, you know, the outer shell, what we, like, put out onto the world changes and the way that we do things and the way that we approach things, the way that we express ourselves those change, but who we are at the core doesn't, you know. There's we're, we're... some... Go ahead. No, go. No, you go ahead. Okay, this is kind of cheesy, just because, like, it's completely separate and almost sort of silly. But right. um, there's this band, OK Go, that I really love. You've seen their music videos, but, like, yes. <laughs> their music is actually really good, too. And one of their songs, they have the lyric, Nothing ever doesn't change, but nothing changes much. And that's always stuck out to me, and that's sort of in tandem with what you're saying. Like, nothing ever doesn't change. It, there's, it, nothing is set in stone. Nothing is completely figured out from the beginning. Mm-hmm. But nothing changes much. We're still, like, it's hard to break the person that we already are. Yeah. Yeah, and, and part of part of life is just like figuring out, I think, how to live with that person that we already are by just changing our habits, you know. Mm-hmm. And and that's in a way that yeah, that's kind of like you know the way what the master is about too. Because I mean, like I said, you know, Freddie Quali is just this weird, broken human being at the start, but like towards the end, he kind of figures out how he doesn't change as a person, but he figures out how to exist. Mm-hmm. in this world and yeah it's just like yeah no, no, nothing ever doesn't change but it doesn't change much is that the yeah nothing ever doesn't change but nothing changes much yeah yeah that's the yeah I feel that I really feel that <laughs> you know just this yeah, because, I mean, I don't know, like, I, I feel like I, I have changed a lot, but I've reconnected with a friend recently, and, and you know, she was just like, you're you're pretty much, you're like the exact same person. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't you know? hurt my feelings at all. And it's just like, oh, no, it doesn't, but it's just like, I th- you know, you think about it, and I'm like, you know what, no, I don't think I have changed at all. I think I am still pretty much the same, down to my deepest core of a human be- of, of of being, but I just I know how to deal with it better. I know how to express myself. I know how to connect and communicate better. You know, I'm, <laughs> it's just I'm the same human being, but I'm better at it. You know, <laughs> that is a great way to wrap. Like because <laughs> this is essentially what I was saying at the very beginning. This is just like a Denise Villeneuve movie. It's just we're repeating. <laughs> we're going in a circle. Yeah. Because like. <laughs> When I was talking about the film school and how, like, I didn't get in because I'm a completely different person now. But it's not that I'm a different person. I'm just a better person. Yeah. Well, you're not necessarily a better person because we don't want to, you know, get up on a pedestal here. Oh, no, yeah. You're you're better at being a person. Right. You know? There's actually... There's this, um... Oh, fuck. This is going to be really cheesy. But, guys... Go listen to Brockhampton. They are fucking amazing. I love Brockhampton so much. <laughs> but there's this line from the song um, off of Saturation 1 called Milk. And um, the chorus is just a 
Kevin Abstract repeating this same refrain over and over that is just like, I got to get better at being me, being who I am. And I feel like that's just, that's just, yeah, that's just really just, you know, what life is. Just figuring out how to be better at being you, you know, better at being the human being that you are. And that, yeah, that's a song that really, you know, resonates and like sticks with me from, you know, coming from a modern boy band. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, a a self-described boy band. Some people might not agree with their their own branding on that but yeah no that's that's deep stuff Mm -hmm. very important but yeah we're all just we're all just uh who we are we just go through life trying to figure out like what's the best way of doing that because you know (laughs) sometimes it might it might not always vibe with another person you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. but yeah so <laughs> what's up <laughs> I just the con like we don't have to go into it because this can be long and unintelligible and boring but yeah. like the concept that like as you as a baby the like from from birth to 18 that's your parents like teaching you it's like okay this is what it is to be a person you've got to like <laughs> Act like a person. Don't yeah. be a demon or a shithead or this yeah. is how you interact with people. Oh, and then God. from then on, it's like, all right, go out there and be somebody. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, literally no. go out there and be somebody. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Literally go out there and, and be a person, <laughs> you know, the person that we taught you to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I feel like, you know, yeah, I feel like a lot of our 20s is us just, like, kind of, like, trying to break that and figure out, like, okay, well, this really doesn't work, so mm-hmm. I have to figure out the best way. Um, yeah, oh, my God, yeah, we don't, yeah, we really don't have to go into that because I'm, I'm just going to start getting into really territory because this is shit I think about, like, all the fucking time, like, in my <laughs> fucking, in my daily brain, and we could be here for hours and hours talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know you got to get going soon because you have to go do something. Mm-hmm. So, um, do do you think we should uh, wrap this up, or do you think we should just go on a little bit longer before you have to go? Like maybe just drop one in small question, or do you think this is a good w- point to end it? We could probably squeeze in one more thing. Okay. Well, considering. That we barely <laughs> touched upon the question that I had for us going in, mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> um, what is? We'll just do the inverse of the last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, what's something that you loved, but now you just really don't understand why you loved it or even hate it now? Ooh, like me personally with my taste. You personally, with your taste, this is a question centered entirely around you. You are the egotistical baby boomer fuck that has ruined our future forever. <laughs> but yeah, go ahead and yeah, go go give us give us your honest, most personal answer. I feel like it's got to relate to something that you just naturally grow out of. Uh-huh. Like I think it's weird to say that you like loved a movie or loved 
like it doesn't even have to be media like just loved something so much like as as fucking silly as like vienna sausages like as a kid like i used to eat the shit out of those but now i won't yeah. touch them you know but right. like to to keep it in well, it's because you've learned podcast. that they are basically dog food, you know? <laughs> you've, you've learned that it's just like, oh, wow, this is not supposed to be edible. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, go ahead. To keep it in the idea of, like, media and stuff like that, I guess, um, I mean, there's still a place in my heart for it, but, like, the music of the 2000s. Mm. Like, the music that you grew up listening to. Yeah. Like, and this was stuff that was, like, deep down in your core. Like, mm. this is who I am, you know? Like, like Blink-182 for so many people. Not necessarily me, but, like, kids our age were so into Blink-182 and so into, like, American Idiot. Like, yeah. this rebellious, like, stick it to the man. Like, there's just this idea of, like, the adults have it wrong. That's why we're here. Like, yeah. that sort of shit. Like, we eat that shit up. But, like, it's, for me specifically, I'd probably say, like, alternative college rock. Like, mm-hmm. Matchbox 20 and the Goo Goo Dolls and shit like that. Oh, like, yeah. it's still good. I still like listening to it occasionally. But the concept of these being, like, integral bands for me as, like, a middle schooler. Like, yeah. listening to fucking Rob Thomas croon about how his, like, wife has a disease. Like, yeah, I was so into that as a kid. Like, the uh-huh. pain of another human being. And then, like, I listen to their songs now. It's, like, incredibly produced by, like, men yeah. in suits. And, yeah. like, I still believe Rob Thomas wrote a lot of his music, but there are people that I totally see as, like... There's a commercial element to it. Exactly. The commercialization. And it's weird as a kid because, like, like again, from birth, that's just something that's in it. That's just a part of life. You're constantly watching commercials, always seeing, like, billboards and stuff like that. And when it's not so obviously apparent, when they aren't feeding it to you, spoon-feeding it to you, like, watch this commercial and tell us what you think of our product. Like, that's what that music is. It's like, we are selling you this right now so that you'll buy these albums because this is, this is good, right? This is what everybody's listening to. This <laughs> is good. Be one of us. Conform. Conform. <laughs> one of us. One of us. Goobble gobble. We're all fucking turkeys. Lead us to the fucking slaughter. Lead us to the slaughter. <laughs> so anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like there's that song by the Goo Goo Dolls name. That yeah. it came on the radio at my work one time. And I was like, oh, I really like this song. And the dude that I was working with was like, you gotta change it. Like, every time I listen to this song, I think right. of my first crush in middle school. And <laughs> I just, I personally can't listen to this song because it, yeah. it makes me sad. And it's like, this song? <laughs> this song makes you feel feelings? Yeah, it's just like, really? This, this, this? Y- you feel something over this? Mm-hmm. Well,. I feel like in that situation, well, I don't know, because, I mean, that, again, that's that, just that it's part tied of... to a memory. Like, that's fair, but, like... Yeah, yeah that's the... tied to how you were going about things, like, you know, back then, mm-hmm. you know? I'm trying to think of another, like, good example, because we were just listening to, like, old music, like, flipping through YouTube, like, pulling up music videos of, like, music... It was just like we were having a party, and we were like, yeah. all right, what do we listen to next? And, like, oh, my God. 
some of the songs that we listened to as kids. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Dude, I used to like legitimately think Linkin Park was a good band. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Exactly. I mean I mean no 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 disrespect to Chester Bennington. I mean that guy, mm-hmm. he obviously he had his demons that he expressed through his music. But um the uh the quality of the expression uh mm-hmm. wasn't 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 always wasn't always the best mm-hmm. you know i mean and yeah i mean there's some there's actually like um there's a lot oh god yeah god yeah that's a lot i mean there's some that you can like listen to kind of nostalgically you can recognize okay well this isn't you know necessarily good but it's like nostalgic for me you know because mm-hmm. You know, it's not necessarily good, but it's not necessarily bad. But if you enjoyed something pretty that you recognize now as pretty terrible, you kind of look back on it with like just complete laughter and mm-hmm. cr- cringing. You know. So yeah, I mean, yeah, the, some of the stuff we were into, like music, like back in the day, was just oh god. <laughs> like 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 I said, Lincoln Park. I mean. <laughs> You know, I mean, mm-hmm. and for you, there there are worse things to grow out of. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, Matchbox Twenty and the Goo Goo Dolls. I mean, they, you know, they're they're still like, they're like, they're like mid period Lincoln Park. You mm-hmm. know, like after the new metal stuff, where where you just kind of like you can listen back with nostalgia and be like, okay, this is like it's not good, but it's you know, it's it's not bad. It's just kind of commercial, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's um. Okay, this one, yeah. this one I'll feel more embarrassed about, right? Because it's also oh, a yeah, lot... oh dude, dude, open up, open okay. up. <laughs> this one's a lot more recent too. Like, yeah. keep that in mind. <laughs> like, uh, Twenty One Pilots when they first came out, like a buddy of mine just had like a literally like a blank CD that he had burned the entire like Twenty One Pilots album to. This is oh, the first, yeah. or no, not the first one. Cause the first one's like a a demo sort of thing, but like the yeah. big mainstream one, Vessel, that had like car radio and uh, fucking those songs on it that were like. Anyways, he I didn't even know what this band was, but he put it in. I was like, oh my god, this is the next big thing because they were like, it was rap, but it was also like electronic. It was hip. And it was deep. He was talking about, like, his suicidal thoughts and about, like, his sadness and how he was trapped in his own body and stuff like that. And I was like, fuck yeah. yeah. These songs are good. And, like, then, like, their second album came out. And I guess, like, the difference from that point to this point, like, that was only, like, two and a half, three years maybe. Yeah. I don't remember the actual years that they came out. But, like, it was a very short time when the next one came out. And this is the one that's really popular still, like, with, um, fucking Stressed Out, and, um, oh my god. Like, I'm like, (laughs) this is dog shit. This doesn't even sound good. And Uh I've, like, I've had conversations with people who are still really into 21 Pilots, like, mainly my sisters. They love Uh 21 Pilots (laughs) still. And I think that that's where the problem lies, is that they're all, like, significantly younger than me. And this music, like, was speaking to them at this point. I really hope that when they, like, grow up, just a couple years from now, they can look back and be like, whoa, that was was silly of me to like this kind of music. But 
Yeah, I I can still go back to the first Twenty One Pilots album and like boop along to it. Okay. But I am very aware that it is so blatantly like, ugh. Yeah, a lot of the, a lot. Uh, you know, it's so funny because I once you brought that up, I was like, oh, I remember he liked Twenty One Pilots, mm-hmm. like. Like, so many of those bands, like, they all fucking blur together for me. It's like, okay, so which is the one Alex actually unironically likes? Is it Imagine <laughs> Dragons? Is it AWOL Nation? Is it 21 Pilots? Which, which is the one? It's I know AWOL for, Nation. I know for a fact it's AWOL Nation because, yes. yeah, they're, they're actually pretty good alternative rock. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually with, just released a new album you should listen to also. But anyway. Okay, go I'll ahead. totally do it, so. Yeah. But, but yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of the... Yeah, that's that's kind of the thing. People grow out of uh, things, but mm-hmm. I I mean I don't know. I don't think you should necessarily like um, look back and think, oh wow, that was silly of me. You could just kind of look back and it's just like, oh well, okay, you know. I yeah, don't it's it's. I'm not yeah. disgusted with my younger self. I'm more like laughably, yeah, reminiscing. Yeah, just like oh, the old me. Yeah. <laughs> Your problems were so hard back then. Oh, your problems was so hard. Well, guess what? Your healthcare's getting taken away. <laughs> yeah. You Write won't a fucking be able... song about that, 21 Pilots. Exactly, 21 Pilots. You make all this money. You can afford cancer care. Why don't you fucking write a song about fucking Joe the Plumber out in the fucking trailer town in Missouri and about how he's slowly rotting because he smoked a pack of cigarettes a day for 25 years. I actually... It's funny that you use them. This will be the final thing. I just have to squeeze squeeze this in just because we brought it up. Okay, so... Keep squeezing things in. (laughs) All right, this is the final squeeze. Squeeze another dick in that ass, you know what I mean? (laughs) Okay. We can fit four. Um, Yeah, we can fit four dildos in there. um, It's pretty gay. It's funny that you group. (laughs) It's funny that you group. I have a very healthy diet. It's funny that you grouped AWOL Nation with, like, Imagine Dragons and 21 Pilots, because there is this, like, push right. for, like, a techno rock. Like, rock and roll yeah. is probably yeah. pretty fucking close to dead at this point, just because yes. it's 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 grouped into alternative and grouped into electronic. But, like, where 21 Pilots is, like, listen to my lyrics, listen to how, like, deep and meaningful they are with this, this music. And then... Imagine Dragons is just straight up pop music in this alternative range. They use a bit more, in, like, not interesting instrumentation, but they use different instruments. <laughs> like, that's why that Top of the World song was so popular, is because it was using, like, like a blend of, like, African drums and shit like that, I guess. Like, I remember really liking that song because it had interesting layers to it. But Alex, Bones you're for Bones. Up. I am. Can you hear me? Hello? Jenny? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Well, guys, that's all the time can... we have. Okay, hold on. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Um, tune in next time. <laughs> Fuck a doodle do. I don't think this is gonna. I don't think this is going to go through. Oh, wait, there, hey. okay, there you are. Yeah, yeah. Have you through. stopped recording? No, no, I haven't. Okay. Um, yeah. 
Where? What was the last thing that you heard? I heard you saying something about African drums. I couldn't tell what you were referring to. Oh, okay. There's like in a, okay. There's like this Imagine Dragons song. I let's just fucking keep all that in. That was confusing, but we can. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we lost connection there for a second. But um, it was interesting, like the way that they used instruments and stuff like that. But now they're just full blown like boops and shit like that, and I yeah. fucking hate it. But anyways, I uh, that boggles my mind how people like it, uh, Imagine Dragons right now. And my sisters are gonna hate this episode because I'm shit talking their music. But um, really quick, I think AWOL Nation is only in the same conversation with those because they use like electronic instrumentation to make rock and roll. Right. Um, but like. He's he's so smart. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. honestly, like, I may look back 10 years from now and be like, oh, silly me for liking AWOL Nation, but, like, he's inventive with the way that he does his music. Um, he's constantly pushing himself. And I think that you'll really like this new album because it's right. it's influenced by Zeppelin and Ooh, uh, okay. Springsteen. It's got, like, that soaked into its bones. It's very similar, like, the, the way that he does the music, just because, like, that's his style. Uh, yeah. But you can tell that there's, like, there's rock, there's grit, there's gravel in this one. Yeah, you sent me, you sent me the first single, and I was just like, wow, this is just really great song craft. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, the guy, he, he really knows how to, like, you know, compose the song and, you know, keep it moving, and there was... It was, yeah, just the interesting kind of, like, AWOL Nation instrumentation mm-hmm. in there, you know. Sam! <laughs> that was a good episode. This has been a good episode. I'm glad you all were here to listen to it. Yeah, I this is this is probably my favorite so far. I've, like, enjoyed this one so much. Like, we've, we covered a lot of shit that mm-hmm. is really, um, I would say really important to me i don't know how important it is to you but this, oh i this... thought this episode was beautiful <laughs> not yeah, to this... toot my own horn oh yeah well i mean you're tooting and boy we can smell it um <laughs> <laughs> we got to talk about david fincher paul thomas anderson yeah we got to talk about like our growth as human beings and mm-hmm. just you know little matters. bit of music a little bit of yeah, philosophy. Good. Ph- philosophy. <laughs> we talked a little Philip Seymour Hoffman here, you know. <laughs> I want to kiss you. I want to kiss, kiss you in the you. mouth. I'm sorry. I'm a fucking <laughs> idiot. I'm so sorry. Uh, this, you're, just, you're just so beautiful. We don't have audio of this, but it would it would be perfect if we had just like a little clip from like five years ago of you doing that voice <laughs> oh god yeah yeah that'd be oh that would be a beautiful way just of me doing that voice god you know uh, what we've learned since then he wasn't dead then no he was uh okay well yeah no <laughs> well <laughs> you just you just brought it to a screeching halt <laughs> um yeah what we yeah everything that we did back then as 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 the old song goes, I wish that I knew what I know now when I was younger. You know, this 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 is going to be the Rushmore of our of our of our um 
of our discography. Oh you know? shit, we didn't even get to Wes Anderson. Next oh time. shit, oh shit, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it.